0: He's got, like I just said, we've got an ambition, and I was pretty much the same answer to the first question. You know, we're there to support and help him achieve that ambition and that dream. So, whatever, whatever means necessary. Uh, What we'll say though is, it's it's for us to, if if necessary, to pull it back a bit. You know, if he needs a bit more learning, or if he's, you know, if certain things need extra work. Um, But if everything is 100% smooth sailing, which at this point there's no reason to say it won't be, that's the ambition and that's the dream. The footwork, the head movement, the angles, it's just like fucking hell, um, and he, move, he moves like a middleweight and punches like a, a super, super heavyweight, it's, it's, it's pretty it's pretty spectacular to be honest, um, and that comes from grafting at it, you know, he's been watching, he tells me he used to sit up till like 3, 4 in the morning watching boxing videos, go to sleep a few hours, wake up in the morning watch another sort of 10 hours of boxing videos every night, um, he studies it, he analyses it, um, super tough on himself, um, and obviously, you know, it comes with the, having a great team around you. His brother, carol has been absolutely magnificent with him since you know, for, for, for a number of years. Encouraged him to make the, mo- you know, f- make the most of his, his ability and make the most of his potential. Uh, and, you know, Dan Moilich has looked after him since he was nine, ten years old as well and, and has steered him the right way and made sure that he stays grounded, he stays humble to himself and, and stays true to, to what, what he is, which is a boxer. You know, he doesn't want to be... Outlandish doesn't want to be you know, Mr. Outspoken. You can see in that press conference today, he's very polite, well mannered, thought, thought, thoughtful in what he says. And uh, I think that if we continue on this path, we've got a superstar on our hands because he's just going to, you know, everyone's going to warm to him. Everyone's going to want him to do well. And uh, with myself and Lawrence, like we're not, we're not in regular contact. He's doing his own thing. Um, doors always open for him. He knows that. Um, so, yeah, I'm just going to focus on my, my stable and everything that's coming up, really. We've got February. Eddie Scott is going to be out late February. I've got Robbie out in March. Um, potentially might have Adam out in March again. Um, so, end of March or whatever. So, yeah, we're, we're just going to keep busy with doing our thing.
1: Welcome back to the number one podcast in the sport where... I want to pick up where I left off. So in the previous episode, I was talking about um, how Hearn's become irrelevant. And I mean, in a commercial sense, not a boxing sense. He, he's still relevant in a boxing sense because he'll still put on fights that have an appeal to boxing fans. But just as a as the man who's going to take the zone to where they want to get to, it's not going to be him. Um, if you look at it, James Rushton is gone. So the guy that signed the deal with Eddie is gone. I'd expect Markovsky to be gone inside of 12 months. And then once they've gone, I'd expect Hearn to... Yeah, I'd expect Hearn to be on his way out too. So if you see Markovsky leave, and these aren't facts, but this is speculation, but if you see Markovsky leave, expect Eddie to follow soon after. Because you'll see that DeZona... A cleaning house and trying to get to a more stable and sustainable corporate footing, which they should have been doing probably a couple of years ago. But we'll put it down to the pandemic. But what I wanted to really touch on here was you know well-worn uh boxing media content fodder. Um Anthony Oluwafemi, Olasanya Joshua, right? So where are we at with the Joshua saga? So the rumor mill, so none of this has been set in stone, is Joshua's going to base himself in America and he's going to train with Derek James and he's going to fight Dempsey McKean in April. And when I add all of that together, I just think shit show. Massive, massive shit show. And I'm going to explain why. After the first loss, didn't Joshua go to America. Didn't he go and see Virgil Hunter, Roberto Garcia, Ronnie Shields, uh, Derek James, and who else? Maybe maybe, maybe the Cubans in Miami. He, he traveled around, okay? And what he decided was he didn't want to base himself in America. A year ago. Or was it no, a couple of years ago, sorry. Or was it a year ago? Whichever. He didn't want to base himself in America. And that's when he did the video talking about he loves Popeyes and stuff. He didn't want to base himself in America. And he wanted to retain control of his camp, right? So he wanted those guys like KD and this Nazar Ahmed guy, the the Malinois. Yeah, I mean, he wanted them to to hold the reins because he can tell them what to do. And a couple of the trainers like Ronnie Shields was like, nah, this ain't going to work for me. The arrangement you're proposing doesn't work for me. So he goes, he goes, right, I'm going to be in Loughborough, bring Roberto Garcia over. Roberto Garcia says, it's a nice check. You know, not hard to fix this guy. All goes shit in camp, by the way. It goes to shit in camp from what's coming out now. It went to shit in camp. And that was reflected in the confusion around how to fight Usyk. And I keep I'll maintain this. That was an Usyk on the slide. That was a perfect opportunity to beat Usyk. He was an Usyk on the slide and they couldn't they couldn't see it off. Facts. Yeah. So then you then go traveling again to the same people asking for the same thing. And now you're gonna do it. So now think about this. If I'm Derek James, I'm like, so you, you rejected me last year and now you're back. This happens on my terms. Take it or leave it. And I imagine every trainer said that. You've got two defeats. Um, you want to struggle at the top level unless you buy into what we're doing here. So that's a massive slap in the face for Anthony Joshua. Because what that tells you is, he put his own comfort, familiarity, and essentially mates above his career in improving. You're walking into a Derek James gym. When Joshua starts his training camp, if he hasn't already, you already have a guy who's got three of the four belts in Errol Spence a guy who is in the discussion for being best in his division. I don't know which Charlo is there with Derek James. I want to say Jamel. Jamel is undisputed in his weight class, and he did it the hard way. You had a manufactured run to those belts. As Anthony Joshua, your first one was bought for you. How do you walk into that environment as Anthony Joshua? Anything other than chastened and humble. But a year ago, how do you say, I've got one of the best 147s and one of the best 154s right here. And then I think they've got the old head. Is it Trout or Lara? I forget which one is there as well. You've got quality on quality on quality. Is it Effie Jagba there? You've got layers of quality. In that Derek James gym. And at no point last year did you want to challenge yourself and put yourself in that environment. And I know it feels a bit Rocky three, and I understand that, but, but now you do. Now that you've had two defeats, and you realize that everything around you was a hoax, now you want to go chasing and humbled. So now you're going to base yourself in America. You can't make this up. You can't make this up. And then Roberto Garcia comes out. And now he's starting to to give his side of the story. Because remember, he's got to preserve his reputation after Joshua completely fluffed his lines against Usyk. And Roberto Garcia is saying interesting things. While not pointing it at Joshua... He is suggesting that Anthony Joshua wasn't training as often as he should have. Now, I don't want to say too much because it normally gets me into trouble. But go back to what I was saying before in the previous episode. And I said camp is absolute chaos. No one knows who's in charge. And this is what was coming out. The coaching, the coaching network talks because we all want to know what it's like. There isn't a fighter around where we don't know what they're like in the gym. And it was coming out that Joshua was doing what he wanted to do. He sparred when he wanted, trained when he wanted and how he wanted. Worked on shots and techniques he wanted to do. And for someone like Roberto Garcia, who's used to a gym where he only steers the ship like the the engine the drive of the operation comes from the boxers from the mikey garcias the brandon rioses they set that culture of how intense it is and so he wasn't used he's caught he's caught off guard and before people get super surprised that there were days when joshua didn't want to train there were days he wanted to stay in bed because he was tired this happens a lot in camp. It doesn't get talked about a lot because everyone comes out and says, camp's been fantastic. Camp's horrible. Sometimes you wake up, your shoulders and your elbows are screaming. And a lot of guys are on, on the painkillers to get them through camp. You know, it's, it's pretty hard. I'm trying to think. Most top guys slack off once they get to a certain income level. They'll start missing sessions, especially in fights that they're supposed to win. And they'll be like, "Ah, I don't have to do this, don't have to do that. I've seen it up close and personal. I've seen it where you had eight weeks of activity planned. And you sacked them all off to get on a plane and go somewhere. I've seen that with my own eyes. This is what happens at the top. So Anthony Josh is not the only one I could name. A fair few boxers who, once they got to that level, didn't train the same way. The runs were shorter. Carl Froch admitted it in the after the first Groves fight. He said, "Yeah, I wasn't doing what I used to do to the same intensity. I took it lightly." But after after that that near <laughs> that near miss with George Groves, he never did that again. And so I come back to this point. Anthony Joshua needed two defeats to realize maybe he shouldn't be running his own operation. That is insane. He didn't need to go to Derrick James. He could have just gone back to McCracken. The man who knows how he works. The man who knows what Anthony Joshua can and can't do under pressure. That is Robert McCracken. And McCracken will make you work. Because I think that's all AJ needs. To get back to old AJ, he just needs to work. Is that why his physique hasn't looked as impressive or as intimidating for years? Has he been cutting corners since he left McCracken or even when he was with McCracken? And if so, was he aided and abetted by his coaches who were supposedly his mates as well? Were they saying, well, if you don't want to train, you don't have to train? But when when a coach is saying... You're supposed to set the standard in your own camp and you're not doing that. That's a big worry. You won't be able to do that in a Derek James environment because they've won the belts you've won. And that may be good for Joshua to be around people who are regarded higher than he is. You know, get back to being a contender again. That may be a good thing. I... Hard to say, but yeah, that will be... Because I want to see an improvement. What I don't want to see is I don't want to see him running around the world, doing all these interviews with with all these camera clowns, and then we get the same performance again. And it's like, well, when are you going to accept that it's you? Which a lot of boxers don't do. You know, Archie Sharp, example. Starts off training with Richard Sawyer, does his thing. Decent enough kid coming through then has a, a mediocre performance against Jeff Afori. But Jeff's tougher than he looks. People should give Jeff his respect and decides he needs a change. Who the hell is he to decide he needs a change? Who is he? So then he goes to Ibox. And so Ibox say, well, if you want to be here, cool, but you've got to be part of our movement. And if you want to be trained by us, you've got to be receptive to listening to what we have to say. Now, I don't know. I don't want to say too much here. But he's back at Sawyer's boxing. And I can tell you, you don't bullshit Eddie Lamb. And you don't bullshit Al Smith. And what you definitely don't do in I-Box is you don't do what you want to do. So if I'm a Kraken and Josh is like, I need a change. I'm like, who the fuck are you to be saying you want to change? What do you know? To be talking about, you want to change, you don't understand how this thing works. You better sit yourself down and stay where the hell you are. You should have stayed with McCracken. But you see, that delusion that makes boxers awesome in the ring makes them scumbags outside of it because they genuinely believe they can box like Roy Jones Jr. Archie Sharp will have nothing like Roy. Like Roy Roy can't teach Archie Sharp how to be Roy Jones Jr. Archie Sharp needs to learn how to be Archie Sharp. Anthony Joshua wanted to be a Cuban. Then he wanted to be a Mexican. Now he wants to be Errol Spence. He was at his best when he was just Anthony Joshua. The boxing bodybuilder. Did Fury get that much in his head that he said, I'm going to prove to Tyson Fury I can do what he can? Has he been all up in the phone, like, ringing up guys like Peter Fury, can you train me? I hope not. But I find that, yeah, I just... This this idea that fighters know what's best for them is crazy. You have no idea. Because if you knew what was best for you, you would have beaten Usyk. You don't know. And what, what you see in that, in that whole Joshua operation, and you saw it when he had the meltdown. You saw that he's basically layered bullshit on top of bullshit on top of bullshit on top of bullshit. And because it's all happened on his watch, he's too scared to fix that. Because it doesn't reflect well on him. I am waiting. I'll say this again. I am waiting for all of those videos of the hangers-on out there in Texas. Just larking around doing nothing, by the way. Nothing. Just larking around for a paycheck and a handout and a bit of kudos because they're mates with Anthony Joshua. He hasn't fixed anything. These are all band-aids. Until he gets rid of that bunch of reprobates and actually has a serious boxing operation, he's stuck. Derek James can't fix that. But the bigger scare here for me, the bigger concern, if I'm being honest, is... Dempsey McKean as an opponent, Like, In what world does it? It doesn't make sense because if you go back to what Eddie Hearn said, you can't put AJ in a six rounder, an eight rounder, a 10 rounder. He's Anthony Joshua. He can't do tune-up fights. He can't do this. He can't do that. This is what we were told all along. We were like, oh, okay. He's going to come straight back into the bear pit. Respect for that. So you're going to fight Dempsey McKean, an Australian who's not even the best Australian. He's not even the best Australian. Like, they rate Lucas Brown higher than Dempsey McKean. Lucas Brown. (laughs) Lucas Brown. Who lost to Dave Allen is rated higher than Dempsey McKean. So why wouldn't you just fight Dave Allen? They're really going to play off this 22-0, aren't they? This undefeated, unknown, big Australian, strong Southpaw, um, real punches, risk. Oh my God, imagine if he connected. He's bigger than Charles Martin. He's better than Charles Martin. He's stronger. Imagine that straight left connects. You know Anthony Joshua struggled with a Southpaw. You know, this is important for him to overcome his... Southpaw Hoodoo, they'll, they'll feed you all of this stuff for you to believe that this Dempsey McKean guy is a threat. In my heart of hearts, I'm hoping that this is just a, let's test the waters and see. And that actually give us someone better. Now, who that guy is, <laughs> open to speculation. We saw Xie Zhang not long ago. Where, where's he? Why, why is his name not being mentioned in this? I'm sure they fought in the Olympics. There's a good story there. See, you can pick all these names off for fun. Like you can legit just pick any name, not even randomized names, but there are all of these names like a Gassiev. Where's Gassiev? Um, they could have made the Bakoli fight. If, if it was really about, we don't want a soft touch, we want to go straight back in the mix, then they would have picked someone who could give them that. Dempsey McKean gives them a soft touch. That might be the worst 22-0 and 0 you could see in a British ring. In terms of a record where you're like, oh, this is horrible. Now, if you're connected enough in the sport, ask any of your mates if they can get you sparring footage of Dempsey McKean. And when you see that sparring footage, you'll understand why I say this is shockingly bad. It could could actually be really dangerous. He's not very good. There are prospects who have played with this guy in the ring. There are, guys who, there are guys who have, I mean, really blasted into him. Like, everyone's kind of done different things with him, right? But at no point has anyone come up and gone, ah, oh man, that Dempsey McKean is something special. Wow. Yeah, yeah, he'll give people trouble. No one has said that once because he's not that good. When you come into the sport from a Muay Thai MMA background, it's not going to work. And I don't wish ill of him. Like, I think in certain situations, like Dempsey McKean versus Dave Allen's a good fight. Dave Allen's not Anthony Joshua. Dave Allen's not a two time world champion. Dave Allen's not an Olympic gold medalist. So, if they give us that, and even worse, if they give us that fight on pay per view, then we may as well just wrap up and go boxing's done because they'll make you pay for it. <laughs> What's the sense? You're going to be a one-sided beatdown. And if it's not a one-sided beatdown, then, Jesus, they really sold us a monkey with Joshua. That's the worrying thing. The worrying thing is the safest opponent they could think of was Dempsey McKean. The safest opponent they could think of was Dempsey McKean. They went past 40 or 50 other heavyweights. 40 or 50 other heavyweights to find Dempsey McKean. This is the guy that two years ago, people were trying to say was the best heavyweight in the world. (laughs) Is there a way I could find this palatable? Maybe. If this is an undercard fight, if someone said to me, Anthony Joshua is doing an eight rounder against Dempsey McKean, bear in mind, Dempsey's never done 12 rounds in his whole career. 22-0, 22-0, and 0, never never been scheduled for a 12-rounder. 22-0, and 0, never scheduled for a 12-rounder. That's crazy. So I'll repeat this point. If you want Joshua to fight Dempsey McKean, that has to be on like an undercard of something or other. If they main event that, that would be so embarrassing for the sport. That would be a massive black eye for Eddie Hearn because that's scraping the barrel. How much doubt do you have in your ability that you've gone down to the second or third page of rec to find an Australian truck driver? That's who you're going to box, an Australian truck driver. You've got Martin Bacoli running around airshare looking like Eddie Amin, ready to fight, willing to fight. You swerved him because you know what happened when he sparred you. And you're like, ooh, this guy doesn't get put down easily. I might have to actually box the 12 rounds and he can really fight. <laughs> and I feel for Anthony Joshua. I feel for him. Two years ago, three years ago, the talkers of being that billionaire boxer. Two defeats to Usyk later, tatters, tatters. Do you know what it's like? It's like if you've ever knocked over Ribena on a carpet and you run to the kitchen to get that, that paper, Yeah, you go and get your kitchen towels and you start dabbing. You dab, you don't wipe. It's Alpaca. (laughs) No, but you do. You, You dab it, you dab it. And that's what he's doing with his career. He's just trying to preserve whatever value there is in there. It's sad to see, but I can sympathize. What I am saying is, how much humiliation can you take in one year? You've had to go back to the trainers you turned down. You've had to then do that on their terms. Not only that, but you've now had to fight someone who would struggle to win an English title. Dempsey McKean would struggle to win an English title. He wouldn't beat Fabio Wardley for the British right now. I don't even think he beats Dave Allen for the Central Area. That's the guy you're going to go to battle with. (laughs) Ah, Thanks, but no thanks. But I want to stick to... Let me stick to the heavyweights for now because... I've seen that there's a lot of noise around the young kid, Moses Atalma. I think for us in the amateur scene, we knew more as Enrico. And so he's the younger brother of Carol Atalma, who, like I said, I think is the real deal. Now, Moses has turned pro at 18. And he has aspirations to be a world champion faster than Mike Tyson did. That gives him two years. right? That gives him two years. You can write this year off because undisputed needs to happen. And that's probably going to happen in the summer. And then the first defense for the undisputed champion will be the WBA against Daniel Dubois. And that will be six months after the first one. So that might be the tail end of this year, early next year. By that time, Enrico or Moses would have had to get himself in position to fight as a mandatory for one of the other belts because they're going to go through rotation. So he'd essentially have to fight Philip Hergovic, which is the next slot available, and do that as a what 19-year-old. So I don't I don't think he'll get to world champion status by 20. Just not because he's not good enough. I just don't think there's the opportunity to do so. So I've been asked a lot of times, like what's what's all the buzz about this kid? And here's the simple answer In his age group, he handled everybody. He handled people for fun. I don't know if he handled everyone. I need to double check that. But he handled people for fun. Like he, You knew in, I think, 90% of his fights, he'd give someone a standing eight count. And what was, for me, most impressive was, as a southpaw, he could go either way. So he could box you by taking the dominant position. So right foot outside the left foot of the orthodox guy. He could dominate you by going the other way. So his foot inside the left foot, um, orthodox guy. And then he could just out muscle you. So he could do all of these things. And so I always come back to this question with young boxers. Is it that you're physically mature and that you're boxing mature way ahead of your years? Is it that by 21 he would have done all of his physical development while others are still developing? If so, then the gap will close fast. That's my biggest question. Um will the power move up with him into the adult ranks? We don't know yet. There are all of these outstanding questions around him as a, as an 18-year-old. That I'm not I'm not sold on him the same way I am with his brother. Well with Carol I was because it's 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 light heavyweight. And I think Carol's the sort of guy who could have boxed as a cruiserweight. I wouldn't have been surprised to see him as a cruiserweight. So knowing that he's a light heavyweight, I feel he has physical advantages. As a heavyweight, does Moses have those advantages? Time will tell if he's got the advantages that are needed to dominate. Because if we really break down what you need at that top level, you need the ability to put people to sleep. If you can't regularly drop top level opponents, you won't be a heavyweight champion. You know, we, we've spent this week celebrating George Foreman's birthday and he showed you how to do it. Yeah. Full extension in those shots, full commitment. And back to what I said in the previous episode, generating a lot of force through that floor. Because as Sir Isaac Newton said, every action has an equal and opposite reaction. So if I'm putting loads of force into the ground... That equal and opposite reaction should translate into a punch into someone's face. And vice versa. That's why strong legs are important. It's that ability to transfer force from the ground to the opponent and from the opponent into the ground. But you know we're getting sidetracked here. But you need that. And we will find out if he's got it. Look, <laughs> Here's what I'd say. I don't want to see him on TV for God's sake. This fact that he's making his debut on the Yard Biterbi of card is just, it shows that it's the wrong thinking at the middle of the Frank Warren operation. It's just the wrong thinking. You've signed the kid. He's yours. Put him on some Alfie Warren shows. Let Alfie get some of that rub. I mean, let Alfie get his shows around... Moses or whoever, whoever the promoter is you choose, let them get that rub. Get, let the kid be used to having all eyes on him without having all the cameras on him. Why, why is it so hard to do this? Like you're not monetizing Moses Atalma. Like he's not going to move the needle as to whether I'm going to watch Yard Beterbia, for God's sake. He doesn't need to be on the card. But like I said, there's a lot of stupid thinking over at Queensbury right now and they're getting a lot of things wrong as much as we've been praising they're getting a lot of things wrong this feels like it's going to be one of them they got it wrong with Dubois like we said at the time and like you know what I mean let this guy taste adversity before he fights Joe Joyce people said nah he's ready you're like huh okay and look what happened we may never we may never see the fully, unreal, the fully realized potential of Daniel Dubois after that fight. We may never see it. Because whoever those clowns are over in Hatfield, wherever it is, they got it wrong. And they look like they're going to get it wrong with young Moses Satalma. Let the kid fight off the beaten track. Let him get to 10-0 without anyone seeing him unless they bought a ticket. See where he's at at that point, because he should have been about 19 and a half, 20 at that point, then set him loose. If he's built for it, set him loose. But on the subject of heavyweights, I'm confused as to why it's taking so long for Fury and Usyk to sort out a deal. Uh, I'm a 100% confused. Usyk beat Joshua when? September, October last year? So everyone's known that this fight was coming. We couldn't have had it at the end of the year. Fine, but we've got to have it early this year. What's taking so long to get the deal over the line? I just... There's stuff that could have been sorted out a long time ago. And it hasn't been. The IBF have moved the obstacles. They've said, nah, no mandatories. No mandatories until undisputed. And then after that, we've got to do what we've got to do. It is absolutely Ridiculous. That they're not talking about the fight's going to happen in May. which is finalizing details. That's what we want to hear. Instead, it's all of this and it's that. What is there to agree? Yeah, That's the thing I don't understand. What is there to agree? Unless you're telling us, maybe they're telling us that there are third parties to this contract that we're not aware of and they need to be satisfied too. Don't know. But I'm going to say this, man. Just get on and announce that fight. I, I have zero interest in either man until they fight each other. That's where we're at now. I just have zero interest in either man until they fight each other. Because it's just ruining the game. And the truth is, everyone's waiting for that fight to happen before they do their version of Undisputed. You're not going to get Spence Crawford before Fury Usyk. Because you won't know how much money is left in the pot and whether you need to let it breathe for another year. So I don't know, I just, I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely bored of this. Just as I'm bored of Conor Ben, who's now, between him and his puppet master, Eddie Hearn, they're now saying, look, if the WBC keep dragging their feet and don't give us a ruling, we'll just move on with our career. But it's like, well, you're going to anyway. You know, you, you surf a WBC ban; it doesn't apply anywhere else. So what does that actually mean? Here's what boxing fans know. You had Clomid. You had Clomiphene in your system. You had Clomid in you. In the eyes of the fans, you're a cheat. That doesn't go away. That doesn't go away because look at how Jerome Miller was dragged through the mud. He failed two tests. Connors failed two tests. And he's rightly getting his name dragged through the mud. Until we take this anti-doping thing as seriously as we should, then this is what's going to happen. Like Conor Ben is literally going to jump in the ring in the next three months, as if nothing happened, or because Eddie needs someone to give him revenue. That's it. Just a question. This I need revenue. Conor Ben, go and deliver that for us. But it, it's thoroughly distasteful because. At any point, Conor Ben could have released the 270-page document for the fans to read and review. But what they know, with absolute certainty, is we would find the nonsense in there. And that's why he's sending tweets that you can't reply to. That's why Hearn's out there now doing the spinning. That's exactly why. Why would you antagonize the WBC where you may need them one day? Unless you're admitting that it's a network that will never work with you. So as far as I'm concerned, he had the Clomid in him. That's, own it. Like Eubank Jr. said, just come out and apologize and say, look, I was insecure, I was scared, I messed up. No mental health issues, just being a cheat. Just do that and let, let the wheels keep turning because there's nothing you can say that will turn the, the public's opinion in your favor. Those who think you're guilty will still think you're guilty. Those who think you're innocent will still think you're innocent. There'll be no net gain. And all you've done is really humiliate yourself. That's all you've done. And this is the only sport where where this is okay. You can take drugs and there's no consequence because it wasn't the right governing body that caught it. Instead of praising the governing body for catching it, like, Vada, well done, you caught it. How can we learn from you guys? What are you doing that no one else is doing? How are you so on the ball? But, hey, who am I to ask these questions? I'm going to close off and ask a question. Has there been a faster and steeper fall from grace than Michaela Mayer in the last five years, six, seven years? Because I go back to the pre-Terry Harper weight gain and people talk about Michaela Mayer cleaning up in divisions, winning multiple belts and being the face of women's boxing. And here we are in 2023, and she's being treated like an opponent. Like she's into like, treating her like a journeyman already because of that one controversial loss to Alicia Baumgardner, who I don't think people are that convinced by. Would will be a lot less convinced if they introduced more stringent drug testing for the women boxers, which they should do, I think as a matter of hygiene and to make sure that they're okay. But just watching this decline of Michaela Mayer, it goes to show, man, that blonde hair, blue-white thing only gets you so far. At some point, you've got to be able to fight. You can't just be out there, you know, hawking out content that's got nothing to do with boxing, man. I mean, boxing fans aren't necessarily OnlyFans sort of subscribers. But I've enjoyed watching... I haven't enjoyed watching it. I shouldn't say that. But I found it very interesting watching that rapid decline. How... She's now having to to scratch her way back into, into the picture because Baumgartner doesn't need to give her a fight. And someone like Caroline is probably a year and a half off taking that fight. But I think Caroline would beat her now. I just, I don't see it. Someone has to give me five bullet points about what makes Michaela Mayer good at this thing called boxing. Because I don't see it. But feel free to do that in your own time on that note i'm going to sign out and say have a great rest of the week i am off to hopefully not think about boxing for a few more days so you guys take care